This is Dear Hallmark. Each week, I'll bring you reviews of your favorite Hallmark movies and TV shows. So grab a drink and let's see what we're getting into with this episode. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Well, I'm trying to think, should I even do an intro? We should just go right in. <laughs> My name is Neil Bledsoe, and I'm running for president. I'm also eating a banana, so that there we go. List. But um, welcome everyone to Dear Hallmark. My name is Tara, and um, you may be wondering why I have this accent. It's because of my guest today. Our neighbor, our next door neighbor, has kindly decided to come over without breaking and entering. But he, I still found him in our fridge. Um, you may know him as Prince Whitaker from the Christmas Carousel. You may also know him as Robert Marley from my favorite Coming Home for Christmas, but you will soon meet him as Prince Henry from Concordia in GAC's A Winter Palace. Ladies and gentlemen, canines and felines, turtles and sea turtles alike, please give a warm welcome to Neil Bledsoe. How are you doing, sir? Yeah, well, hello, hello. <laughs> I'm quite well, how are you? Oh, fantastic. Thank you very, very much. I would like to not have to speak in this forced American accent that I've been carrying on for years. Um, but thank you for having me. But of course, it is with great pleasure that I have you on the podcast. Um, yes, of so, course. I'm so glad that you're having tea with me. But of course, I, I come prepared. I come prepared. Oh, yes. Cheers. Cheers to you. Cheers. Cheers. All right. So can we talk about your accents? Like how did, <laughs> how, sure. how did you, because you use, you know, we have you in, um, as a British prince in the Christmas carousel, and we're going to have you again as a British prince. That's right. In the, in the winter palace, just giving us prince energy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, um, but how did you kind of work on the accents, uh, like deciding which one you wanted to use uh, for which character? Like, how did that come about? That's right. Well, I am, I'll just come out and say it. I am the Daniel Day-Lewis of, uh, oh. of made TV movies. Oh. They're going to put that on my, on my gravestone. It's going to say the DDL of made for TV movies. There you go. Uh -huh. That's your Instagram bio, new Instagram yeah. bio right there. Exactly. <laughs> now, what is it now? I think I've got the it, wholesome my Instagram bio now is live action Troy McClure, <laughs> which kind of which kind of makes sense. It used to be a quixotic bit of blankery, not blankery, but I think mm -hmm. you understand what I mean. Mm -hmm. Danica made me change it to the wholesomest boy in the whole of Wholesomeville. Then I got tired of that. I'm rebranding as live action Troy McClure because I feel like that's, that's more like the, the, the truth of it. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. <laughs> But how how did you, let's let's go back to the beginning, the genesis of <laughs> Neil Bledsoe. <laughs> oh, there I was. It was dark, wet. 
I had this doctor kind of like grabbing at me and I was like, I'm, what the hell are you doing? He starts grabbing at my head. My mom's like, you know, and so I come out, I'm like coughing in my lungs. I see my dad and the first thing I do, I just whiz on him. I was holding that for a long time and I start laughing and I'm like, I got you. <laughs> and that has defined our relationship for 40 years. Wow. That's Where actually a true story. I peed on my dad when I first came out. Oh my God. You didn't want to come like back to that beginning. You wanted no. to talk about the beginning of the acting work. Well, Zara, thank you for asking me that thrilling question. Um, I suppose it all goes back to Greek. Says, uh, no, what do you want to know about acting? How, because I know you're an actor and a writer. That's I have right. two questions. So like, which came first and how... Did that you get into <laughs> right, <laughs> right? How did it, how did you get into acting? Like, what is it about acting that you love so much that you continue to do it now? Um. Well, <laughs> it's my profession. It's 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 paid my bills for sixteen years. So there's there's the practical answer for you. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when I was a kid being just really good at it, and. Um, and I think when you're a kid and you tell people that you want to be an actor, they're, they kind of coddle you or they, 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 they smile at you and kind of, they allow you that belief until you get older. And then they start to tell you that like, that you're in for decades of pain and well, better get used to failure. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I think the thing with me is I didn't have much choice. I kind of like, I had set myself up in my life and I'd made a series of decisions and, I was kind of at a bit of a dead end when I was um, when I was a teenager, and I like I didn't really have much choice. And like I I ended up not. Uh, I watched I, I watched everybody that I knew graduate without me, and I like flunked out of my first uh, senior year of high school. And I remember seeing everybody kind of going away and being like really fearful and going like, "Oh God!" Like I I backed myself into this corner, and like, should I join mm. the military? Should I like? Just go get my GED. What should I do? And I ended up at a school the next year, and uh, I got really good grades. And so I got a kind of a second chance that I was remarkably fortunate and privileged to have. Um, and then the the choice was kind of cleared for me, like you know that it was like, oh, okay, well, because the narrative had changed from like, oh, this is just somebody that doesn't know how to do work, to being like, well, he was never given structure or the challenge, you know. Mm. So college opened itself up. I, I had this really weird pet trick where I was like a savant. I was like the rain man of history. I like, I, for whatever reason, it just, it sticks in my mind in a way that I is easily accessible. And mm -hmm. I'm so good at it in this school that I went to. And I was so far ahead of uh, the rest of my class that I actually taught a unit to my class, which won me no friends. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, wow. uh, it was wow. just like, I might as well, you know, the like the dunce wears the hat and sits at the back. I was like, I should have worn the hat that said jerk and sat at the front of the class and just smiled at everyone from behind, kind of like this. <laughs> what um, unit was it? What unit of history did you teach? I was world history. I, oh, the unit of history that I taught. I taught uh, the unit on the Eastern Front of the Second World War. Wow. Um, about, um, which is, you know, for a lot of, if you don't watch the History Channel, that's kind of the, um, where the majority of the, the conflict actually took place. But I was really good at it. And the point is, is like, 
that was kind of that pet trick that was going to get me into university. And the only thing mm. I could think that like, that I was, that I was going to go to university for is to just join a fraternity and drink away four years of my life. And mm. I was, I had the, I had the benefit of kind of seeing some of the people that, that I thought had left me behind. I was able to kind of see what their experience was. And I was able yeah. to see what my, you know, my, my families and my, my friends, what their experience was. And I couldn't think of any other reason to go to school, but to kind of like hide and join this, this like white upper middle class tribe that I had been born into, which felt like increasingly like a lie. Mm -hmm. And where I grew up in Seattle felt like, Seattle felt like a small town, felt mm -hmm. like a very like crushing small town where like, where my destiny was written in the stars even before I was born, that I was gonna, I was gonna graduate from the same high school that everybody else did. I was gonna go to the same university. I was gonna get the same season tickets, end up playing the mm. same golf courses, eating in the same restaurants, and kind of like, and that was because it's a very comfortable place, like a lot of small towns, and it's it's changed a lot now. But that's what it felt like to me, and I was mm. like, I and I had this dad that was always like. My dad's a remarkably intelligent guy, but he, he is, he is one of the best, the most well-read, but under-traveled people I've ever met in my life. Mm. So he's the kind of guy that will kind of like read a book. He's a bit like Goodwill Hunting in that way. Mm. Like he'll read a book and kind of tell you about like, ah, what, what Paris kind of, you know, what, what, what the history of Paris is with remarkable detail. But I was like, there was something hollow in it that I was like, you don't know what it's like. And mm -hmm. you don't never been there. And so like that fed me with this kind of sense of wanderlust. And then the other element that really kind of aided me in being an actor was like, I was, um, I was always moving around as a kid. I was always in new schools. And so part of it was just survival of like getting into a new environment and having to make stuff up on the fly. And a lot of that was like watching shows like in living color and mm. regurgitating it you know, wholesale, like doing my fire marshal bill or my <laughs> or like people whose parents wouldn't let them watch that. And mm. I maybe let them believe that I invented it. Or whatever. <laughs> uh, um, but I was just like, and then I think innately, I didn't have a lot of fear as a kid. You know, and like mm -hmm. a lot of people talk about stage fright. I was just like, I was more of a stage whore. I was just like, yeah, let's, because <laughs> I think there's a lot of like communal joy in that. So, so all that, all those elements kind of added to when I was, in uh, going through this kind of selection process with my Hogwarts sorting hat, um, where I was gonna go to college and I took another year off. So I was effectively a senior uh, in the years 99, 2000, 2001. I was like a, I was like a super senior. I did it three times. I was, mm. You know, it was like that, there was that, ooh, if I could be a senior in high school in 1999, that's cool, but you know what's cooler? If you could be one in 2000, well, there's a debate whether that's the beginning or the end of the millennium. Why don't we do a 2001? <laughs> and um, I went to this great art school um, and I wrote and I acted for a year, um, but I didn't know if I was any good at it. You know, you can have a lot of passion for something. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of people, you're a writer, you know, these things, it's like, you can feel that you're really good at it and you can be extraordinarily passionate about it. But I think where a lot of people get it very insecure, myself included, is this question of like, well, I know I'm good at it or I feel good at it. And I might be better than my, my friends or my parents, but like, where do I sort out in kind of the, the, the greater context of the world? Mm. Like, 
am I professionally good at it? Is this going to, in other words, if I decide to pursue this full time, am I just going to end up feeling like an idiot? Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of people that I grew up with um, and a lot of people all over the world, not exclusive to Seattle, but a lot of people that are afraid of feeling foolish. And so that stops them and uh, it stops any kind of dreams, not just acting, it might be music, it might be painting, it might be whatever you feel that you are kind of destined to do or called to do, um, there can be this block of just intense fear of, like, of, of feeling like an idiot. And so I had, thankfully, uh, I didn't have much choice and I, or I didn't feel like I had much choice. And so I just, I did it and uh, auditioned uh, with that first school I went to where I pulled my grades up. I got my first short story published. And then the next year uh, I got a couple poems published and then, um, and I felt really good there. Ironically, writing felt like a more, it, the, the path was less clear in writing mm, than it was mm-hmm. in acting. And I think that's because it's like, it's a pretty straightforward thing to, you graduate, you go to New York or Los Angeles, you get an agent, they put you in things. There's like that professional path is much clearer. And I, mm-hmm. I kind of thought that I, if I was a writer, I'd be like sitting underneath some naked light bulb in my underwear, you know, typing away at a typewriter, like chain smoking <laughs> or something. Which I still do, but uh, um, so I ended up uh, ended up leaving and uh, ended up leaving the school I was at. Got into this uh, pretty decent uh, theater school in North Carolina, uh, where I got a BFA for four years and um, graduated, and uh, really like had a, a strange uh, relationship with the city almost immediately. Uh, I knew I was like good, but I kept, you know, getting in my own way and effing mm-hmm. up and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, almost didn't have an agent uh, after I left school. And then like by the, the, the skin of my teeth, got a manager and an agent. And then, and then I got my first job 30 days after I left school, which was the, one of the leads of this pilot uh, on a TV show, which is like this kind of golden, this golden ring that so many people reach for that nobody really kind of gets and like you can go your entire career without getting one of those things and it's but what it did for me was really kind of change the trajectory because at first they send you out for everything when you're when you're doing it and um and then when you kind of book some stuff like that it's like oh i not i'm not going to just send say neil in for uh, for cop number two, because he's like, uh, he can be the lead of the show. He can be, you know, he can be Detective Rollins and, you know, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> you know, only Detective Rollins. I get yeah. typecast. Uh, or, or, you know, um, and then the thing that I was, that I could kind of see is that um, I have always been really interested in versatility um, and being really good at many different things. Um, and, exploring range and I, I like to go where I can find a good challenge and where I can find good work and that's kind of what's led me from doing <coughs> excuse me um, uh, that's what's led me from doing things like Antony and Cleopatra uh, on stage uh, to being an old spice man to <laughs> uh, to doing 
princely British accents in, in Hallmark films. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like the overall journey of me as an actor, but I'm sure there, you might have more specific questions as well. I, I do, I'm curious, cause I talked with, um, I had, <clears throat> excuse me, I had Cindy Busby on uh, right before Christmas Con and we were oh, talking. Yeah, yeah we were- We were actually yeah. in an acting class together. I don't know if you know that. Oh no, I, I didn't. I wasn't aware of that. Mm -mm. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I was teaching her which one we know friends. Oh, there we go. <laughs> no, there we go. Cindy's, Cindy's a wonderful actor. She does not. Uh, <laughs> but um, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, so she, we were talking about like um, how to fight against comparison and jealousy. Like when you go in for auditions um for different for different roles and things like that is that something that you deal with at all is like jealousy and comparison um as you audition for different roles and things like that or because you kind of just have this reckless abandon if you will when it comes to just pursuing pursuing what you love like does that is that not even a thing um that's a really good question Laura. uh in other words am i a petty, jealous human being, <laughs> um, or, or am I some enlightened um, Buddha that can kind of, uh, you know, transcend all, all, all human emotion? Um, yeah, I, I think, I think that, for, pardon my language, but I, I think that shit's inevitable, you know, to mm. be, mm -hmm. to, to look at some dude that looks like you know, I've got a I've got a ton of friends that are that person to me, and mm. I've been that person to other people. I remember, like the first real break I got was when I was uh, got these like three jobs in a row that felt like I was like, oh, this is what momentum feels like. And I like booked, and I booked, um, uh, I booked what was it, uh, Gossip Girl, and oh. I was like, first it was the first gay kiss on Gossip Girl and I kissed Chuck Bass. It was like so harmless. It was like, and um, he tasted like cigarettes, but nice chat. Oh um, but for whatever reason, there was so much kind of buzz around that episode. It was like a one-off guest star episode. I'd done a ton of them. There was like no real difference, but it was mm -hmm. like the quirks and the individual characters of this one episode kind of like that put me in Entertainment Weekly for like three weeks in a row. And uh, this journalist named Michael Oziello, who's like the best and is like, he's, he's great. And um, Michael, if you're listening, I love you. Um, and uh, he kind of like, for whatever reason, I was put in there. I was like, I, <coughs> excuse me. I was in, uh, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> um, I was in there. I was, for whatever reason, I was in Perez Hilton. And that kind of amplified it. Mm -hmm. And I gave this interview to Michael and like, I just, I was myself. And uh, I was giving kind of cheeky answers and for whatever reason, Perez Hilton liked that. And it was so arbitrary, Dara, that like nothing about my approach had changed. Nothing mm -hmm. about who I was had changed. It was just like the business to set it to go like, oh my, oh, look <laughs> at him. And so that kind of, uh, that led me to be in this other really terrible show where I was, I went from playing like this gay Bill Murray character in Gossip Girl to playing an honest to God 
Russian mafia member in this show about models on the CW that was so bad that it got canceled in the middle of a scene that they were shooting. Oh, snap. Um, I mean, you know, oh yeah, it was called the, it was the beautiful life. It was, it was, it was terrible. And everyone who knows it, <laughs> knows, like, oh, I'm not telling tales out of school. I think everybody who's a part, been a part of it is like, knows that it was terrible. We've all moved on to better things. Um, you know, like the, and, and then from there I was, um, that got canceled. And then because that got canceled and I was watching my part get bigger, um, I was then put into the second half, the last season of Ugly Betty with Eric Mabius playing his brother. Yeah. And it was like. You were in Ugly Betty? Yeah. Yeah. I was the one that shot Vanessa Williams. Shut your mouth. Why are you throwing things at me? Shut your mouth. That show got me through graduate school. I don't. Oh, oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh. You remember, remember there was the model that was like, he was the long lost son of Judith Light. Yes. Back in New York, that was me. Shut your mouth. Yes, yes, that was me. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm not, wow. I'm not making this up. Um, and so, but there was this kind of progression of like, oh, boom, 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 boom. Wow, I'm like, I have a career now. And like different agencies were calling me, like people were kind of starting to take notice. but. I got used to seeing this like group of actors in these like audition rooms. And there was this one guy that was like, he's a, he's a successful actor, but he was, I would kind of see like the business kind of start to twist him like Gollum with a ring. Like he would just <laughs> turn into like an evil character whenever, whenever jobs were mentioned and all actors do this. It's like, we get kind of it's like troll-like when we're about it. And I remember saying, I was like really happy. And like, you know, a lot of certain people can't stand you being happy or your success. And I was like, yeah, like, this is crazy. Like this thing is happening to me. And I remember the look on his face is like this blank slate of a face as all the color kind of drained from it and it was like I might as well have been telling a rock about my happiness and he looked at me and was just like oh you booked that too huh good for you Mm. and there's a lot of that and like I think with women it's I've I've heard from my women friends that it's even worse because it's Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of undercutting there's a lot of like sniping guys are like I don't think guys are emotionally intelligent enough to really be good at that kind of backstabbing diplomacy. You know, we can like, we, we can do what my brother says, which is called you smile, fuck somebody. And you're just like, huh? Yeah. Sorry to swear. But like this, these are his words. And it's the direct quote, but he's like, um, Oh, that's so good. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Right. No, that's, I love your success. And it's like this kind of just passive aggressive, so yeah, that stuff's inevitable. But the point I want to make, that is how it used to be, right? Mm-hmm. You used to see all these people sitting in a room with them as you were auditioning. It was like, and you kind of see the same people and you'd be like, it was like a club. And then eventually, at, at first that's really terrifying because you're like, oh God, he's handsomer than I am. And like, oh my God, that guy went to Juilliard. Wow, that guy's actually British. I can just slightly <laughs> pretend I'm British. Right. And like, and you're seeing all these kind of these usual suspects. And then inevitably in those rooms, one person is always going to be kind of the really successful one who can, who can tell you, you know, the exact color of Steven Spielberg's eyes and like, you know, and then there's going to be the one that's kind of like the, the misfit and this hierarchy gets kind of established, mm. but that's how it used to be, Dara. 
what goes on now is nobody sees anybody anymore because it's all self-tape. So mm. we're all like stuck in our apartments. And so now your closest competitors, you're relying on these people to help you tape an audition. Mm. And we're so disconnected from the rest of the business. So what that means is like, in other words, every actor who's out there, their job has, has the requ requirements and their job duties have increased fivefold. They're no longer just learning an audition and going into like audition for a casting director. What we're doing now is we're, we're getting the audition. Then we have to produce it and decide where we're going to shoot it, who we're going to shoot it with, how we're going to shoot it. We have to light it. We have to direct it. And then on the end of it, we have to edit it. So this, these things that might take you, I don't know, like, you know, you could do, you could get done in a half an hour, but like, you know, that's just auditioning for the thing. Like mm -hmm. now these things take you hours and hours and hours. And so this funny things happen. You have to start to rely on those people. Now, certain people are just going to be terrible no matter what. And you cauterize those people and burn them away from, from your life as much as you can. <laughs> but um, yeah. And then, and then this kind of like, this weird thing that I would hear older actors talk about that I only kind of recently realized is like the same people that you used to kind of go like, oh man, screw that guy. Now you're kind of like, it almost makes you feel kind of comfortable that they're still there with you. It's like this mm. kind of companionship. Mm -hmm. but, but then on the other flip side, it's like, you know, whenever I see somebody who's like a, a, a whitish man in my age bracket that is like relatively handsome, like playing some white collar guy, like, you know, I inevitably think that I'm like, oh, that's, you know, that's my role. And like, you know, and then, you know, in my, when I get really dark about things, I think that I'm just being pigeonholed into characters who are being carted off by the police with handcuffs around their backs saying, call my lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Is that all they think I am? Is that all they think I am? I can do, you know, and like, and even when I was like younger and I was playing a lot of like um, after the Gossip Girl thing and I like had another role where I was playing uh, um, a, uh, a movie star who hadn't come out of the closet. I like, I was racked with insecurity about it. I was like, does, does, do they just think I look gay? Should mm. I not do this anymore? Oh God, you know, you're, you're constantly living with your insecurities and these things are are fueling you and if you have if you can learn to harness them in healthy ways you kind of like this art starts to work on you as you work on it and this really like beautiful alchemy happens so that's awesome so let's let's uh, electric slide into the made for tv movie space um where you find yourself in at least these past few years. As I said in your intro, we've seen you in Christmas Carousels, Prince Whitaker, uh, which right. came out 2020. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I gotta say 2020 now, not last year. Um, and then Coming Home for Christmas, I think that came out 2017. Um, yeah. And mom and I was just watching that the other day, sidebar. I do think you would play a really cool detective on a Hallmark movie in mystery. Like, I, I think, yeah, I, especially with your wit and your sarcasm. Oh my gosh, you can bring something to a, a mystery detective role that I think is needed at Hallmark movies and mysteries. I'm just saying. But- um, Well, thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I think so the how, next one I do, I would just like to use my own accent. Yeah, I think that's also why I like coming home for Christmas too, because you're just a like you're a regular guy. You're not a, a British royal prince. You're just a regular guy going through some stuff. And um, even like I, I think I told you this at Christmas Con, just like watching your process of melting, like from going from ice to like this person of flesh, this like person that you can now. He's like, oh, he does have, like, he's capable of affection. He's capable of all these different things. It was, it was beautiful to watch. And that house, <laughs> that estate, I love me an upper tax bracket situation. So that estate was beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, I digress. So how did you get into the, the, how did you like get into the made for TV movie, like romance space? Um, yeah. Can you just talk about your, your journey uh -huh. into that? Yeah, sure. I, I had been, uh, I, I think that they, I'd been on their radar for whatever reason for a while. And I think that I, I just, they, they, to be frank, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of these movies don't appeal to me um, because there's not a lot of conflict with them. Mm -hmm. they're, they're more plot driven than character driven. And um and part of that is, is they want to present a what Tyler Hines calls a trigger-free experience. And I, mm -hmm. I appreciate that. But I, I think that there's a certain amount of catharsis to be had in presenting an obstacle and overcoming that obstacle and bringing the mm -hmm. audience along with you. Um, and that's where, that's where trauma is. Otherwise, mm -hmm. it's just like you might as well be looking at a, a zoetrope of a courier and Ives lithograph or something. Um, which for those listening at home are the old tins that you would get. Uh, <laughs> and a zoetrope is a moving, uh, it's like an early uh, film type where you could see um, like the horse galloping through like a slide. Oh, I, that's and, cool. Yeah. So um, I, I didn't really have much of an interest in, in doing a lot of them. Um, and uh and then I was doing a play, uh, and um, I kind of, <laughs> to put it frankly, I mean, I was like, they bought me a good amount of money after I was earning nothing from doing this play. Mm -hmm. And I saw a real opportunity, but I wasn't going to just do it because I was like, mm. um, uh, I saw a real opportunity in coming in for Christmas. And I was like, oh, there's somebody that actually has an obstacle here. And there's something mm -hmm. that like, there's a character that I can play. And like, anytime I read a script or any other actor, I'm, I'm sure it's like they're, something either speaks to you or doesn't. And like you're you're either kind of spend the hour and a half that you're reading it going, oh, come on, real, oh, oh, you know, or mm -hmm. you go, wow, I, I kind of want to see what happens next. And I had the latter experience reading Coming Up for Christmas. And uh, and also Danica being involved was, uh, was a real highlight for me. It was like, who doesn't love Winnie Cooper? Sure. <laughs> came to see the play I was in and uh, and it was like so such a treat and she was so kind and warm and um, uh, our director and our producer were uh, were also there um, and uh, and uh, we it took off after like a, maybe a month uh, of pre-production went to to Canada it was the middle of middle of August and we were shooting in uh, in BC and Vancouver, and it was a tremendous, like, hot streak. So we were like wearing, I bet. Like, <laughs> right. like 90 degrees outside. We're kind mm -hmm. of dressed, like 
Christmas tree, you know, Christmas town up. <clears throat> it was so hot, Dara, that like the wreaths that they would put in, like kind of try to glue to the window, the window was getting so hot that the glue would melt. So Danik and I would be in the middle of the scene like, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm just shopping for some Christmas. Thump. If <laughs> <laughs> something would fall. Um, wow. We had, uh, there were some other things that were really goofy and I'll, I'll still remember this. There was this, uh, I, I'll, I'll tell that story in a second. Um, so Danik and I, we got down to business and I immediately had a great time working with Danica. I think our first day was that we had our first kiss. So it was like, Oh, really nice day. Okay. Sure. <laughs> and then we're like, mm. um, and, uh, and it was, it was great. We had a blast working with each other and I wanted to kind of keep that up. And, um, I, I ran into some conflict with the director because I, I think he he had a different vision. He had a very like you know like the the older vision of the, the formulaic vision of it. It's like you play the beats, you come in here, you're a handsome guy, and you smile. And I was just like, there's like, and he kept saying, "I need you happier." I'm like, you've written me as Robert Bob Marley to be like the stick in the mud. I'm supposed to be the the serious one, mm -hmm. and you want me to smile more than I'm, I'm just like, I'm the proto serious one. That's Kip's job. Come on, let, let Kip get all the smiles. So we kept running into like kind of conflict, but eventually we found a good groove and um, I was starting to improv and have fun. And I was just like, you know, Hey, the stakes are pretty low here. Let's just, let's have a blast. And um, we did. And it was like, I was, I was proud of what we got out of that movie. And so Danica was like, she was a lot of fun. Um, there were the, the story I was going to tell you was this. We had such, I think they were using a non union crew. Um, usually mm -hmm. they use like a union crew, it's all IATSE and like, uh, and, um, but we had a lot, so there were a lot of new people on set and they were like trainees of like what are called PAs or production mm -hmm. assistants. And this was literally this person's first day, might have been their first time on a movie set. And oh. the, the second, uh, the key PA or something was, was telling this uh, this new PA how to call the role. And so Danica and I are rehearsing the scene. We're kind of between things. And I like, and I hear this like PPA like yelling these instructions at this new like trainee. And she's so, the trainee is so new that she's wearing like an orange safety vest. No one else is wearing a safety vest. Aww. I think sensibly just to kind of like make the, this person is, is uh, gonna be a bit of a problem. So. She's like, so the, the key PA says to the, this PA trainee, it's like, okay, when they call the roll and they say action, you say action. And then when they say rehearsals up, you repeat it really loudly, rehearsals up and make sure everyone is quiet and puts her fingers to her lips in like this very didactic way. And I'm like, geez, what a, what a way to, is that, that's one way to talk to people. Okay. Right. So then can I go back to like um, rehearsing the scene and doing the, the lines with each other? So eventually the call comes through the whole crew. It's like, rehearsal's up. And you see this PA kind of sing, this is my chance, this is my chance. Her eyes flashed around. She says, rehearsal's up. And uh, Danica and I keep kind of doing the lines. And we're, as we're doing the lines, this person in this orange safety vest says, sorry guys, shh, rehearsal's up. And Danica and I both look at her just like flabbergasted. I'm like, I know, we're rehearsing. <laughs> and it was, Anyways, it was it was a very sweet little moment. But, uh, um, so yeah, that was that was coming home for Christmas, and uh, uh, 
Yeah, it was like, I, I think that Danica, I, I recognized in Danica somebody that I really wanted to keep working with and somebody who was like a really just great collaborator and somebody who was so passionate and cared about it. Um, I think that can kind of be, you know, I don't think it's a secret. You get some people that just phone these things in that are mm -hmm. like, you know, that are on their phones after and, and tweeting and, Mm. and don't care really at all about what they're putting on screen mm -hmm. or don't know how to care and Danica is somebody to her credit that's like an extraordinarily hard worker and so when I saw that I was just like that's somebody I want to keep working with which I know us as fans are excited that you guys are back together in GAC's newest film A Winter Palace Yes. yes, I'm excited about it for three reasons. The first being you and Danica, you guys come as a pair. The second, we have a royal situation. And the third, my favorite season is winter. So for those who haven't um, seen the trailer, because the trailer was shown during Cindy Busby's movie, uh, uh, what is it, Joy for Christmas. I remember that was when the, like, the full minute and some odd trailer came on and I was all types of excitables. So for people who may not have seen the full trailer or maybe hearing about this for the first time, I mean, they may have been living under relief or a rock and they don't know. Could you tell the people what A Winter Palace is about? Well, shall I tell it from the perspective of Prince Henry? rather than the actual movie. Well, the actual movie is, is um, Danica is, she's, she's Emily, a, a caretaker, I guess, or some sort of Emily person who was hired to look after a, a, a family's estate in Colorado. And mm -hmm. I've caught them, uh, the, the crowning of the, the king uh, is, mm -hmm. is upcoming very, very quickly. And I, I I don't want to be a king. There's no reason to. And so I escape to the country of Concordia to, uh, to ruminate and to, to meditate and to find a way to escape being yeah. this king, to escape my destiny and to try to find another way of living. And, and of course, Danica is up there is trying to finish a novel and um, we, uh, we connect and we click. And, uh, and then at the last possible moment, um, she's... She's, uh, she goes away and it all gets cocked up and uh, oh, no. uh, and our dreams almost get ruined. And that's what I shall leave you in the balance, wondering, wondering if, if, if these two kids ever get together. No. <laughs> my perspective is Prince Henry. Look, I'm tired. I don't want to be king. My father's retiring and I've come to Colorado just to get a bit of peace and quiet. And I'm trying to do all of my business here in the chalet and and then this Emily person for some reason even though she's an employee of the crown thinks that she can just leave things wherever she like willy-nilly and stop bossing us around but eventually I see how charming she is and uh, she makes a good cocktail she she cooks a little bit you know she uses these funny little voices she has this really really sweet little laugh that's a bit like a chipmunk stuck in a tree <laughs> and um yes we have, a, we have a lovely time we fall in love you know we we we, we have a blast it's wonderful now, can you tell us for those who aren't up on their like british geography where exactly is concordia ah yes well that is the trouble concordia is actually not in the united kingdom nor oh. 
Nor the whole of Great Britain. What? Nor in the British Isles, nor even is it an island. No, 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 no. Concordia, as far as I can discover, is um, somewhere in the middle of Europe. I, I like to think it's somewhere, uh, somewhat like Liechtenstein. Uh, uh, Concordia is, is, is actually just a, it's a, it's a one square city block in Vienna, as oh. far as I Um, so <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> um, so can you tell us how Prince Henry is different from Prince, Prince Whitaker? What did you bring to Prince Henry that you think is ah, different? Well, thank you for asking that because, because of course, in the Christmas carousel, <laughs> I am a prince who just wants to leave his royal duties behind to, to make art and paint. Ah, but in the Winter Palace, I am a prince who is about to become a king, and all I want to do is sculpt. And yet, they are very different characters. And I'll tell you why. Whereas Prince Whitaker is somebody that is joyously having fun at every chance he gets, uh, and is a bit of a bit of a rascal. Um, uh, prince Henry is somebody that um, is very overworked and a bit self-serious. Uh, somebody so. Prince Whitaker is somebody that is trying to make everyone else lighten up, while mm. Prince Henry is somebody that needs to lighten up himself. Mm. What a great way to put it. Um, now, can you talk about the palace in this movie? Like how, for lack of better words, how dope is the palace in this movie? Like, are we going to see some some royal Is there like an SPV Cribs? Or yeah, like, are we oh, going to see gang, the, the jewels? Prince you know Hyde. what I'm saying? Like, no, this is so. This is where I like chill my heels. No, there's no <laughs> G equivalent where I like take you into the media screening room. Um, it is a. This is a mountain house, so this ah. is more, a bit rustic. Um, Hence the it, Winter Palace. I understand. Rustic, yes, and the Winter Palace is actually. It's it's a misnomer. It's actually not a palace as much as it is a, a it's a it's a cabin. It's a home. It's um, mm -hmm. the Winter Palace is something that's a, it's a bit of an ironic name that's been given to it. Now going back because you were interested in accents, I actually was not going to speak in a British accent for this film um, until uh, fairly closely to shooting, maybe the night before. Um, I, I, because all of these characters, these princes seem to come from the middle of Europe somewhere in some country that no one's ever heard of, I was like, what if we actually make him continental European, you know, like make him sort of German or, so I, I found this accent sample of this, um, he was a, he's a Romanian, um, nobleman, he's a count for, uh, that grew up in Paris was like a, it was his family had to flee when Ceausescu and the, the communists took over Romania. So yeah. he grew up in exile in Paris, went to schools in, in uh, Germany and had only since come back to kind of restore um, some of this like Transylvanian land that his family used to, uh, to own and kind of like uh, rehabilitate it, and redevelop it. Um, he had a fascinating accent sample, but the problem was that it sounded a bit like like a bad guy in an Indiana Jones movie. I sounded <laughs> like Prince Nazi, which we didn't feel was maybe the best look for the film. Mm -hmm. uh, not quite that bad, but it was just like it didn't really, really work. And I think 
part of it is because we have in our minds as Americans, we have in our minds that like, that, that a prince has to sound very British. And right. Just, you know, that it's like we have Prince Charming in our minds rather than a very sort of proper man who would ask you how you like the hunting lodge. You know, like that sounds a bit like, oh, that sounds like a Nazi scientist, whereas the other like, but if I simply talk like this, darling, then it's like, oh yes, well, of course that guy's a prince. <laughs> really weird sort of linguistic thing. So um, I, I think we, the, the note I kept hearing is I would like look at the, the shocked producer's face and Danica's face is like, I think we want something a little princely. Yeah. Back to, back to the British stuff, okay. Are you sure we can't do this? <laughs> no, 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 Neil, go back to the end. So I just, so I fell back and then and continue. And, and so, and part of the, um, there was like a, the idea I had in my head for Prince Whitaker was a bit like, he was like Peter O'Toole, I thought. It was like, mm. Oh, yes. Hello, good to see you. Whereas, um, well, you know, Prince Whitaker was sort of, uh, it was a little bit more like Prince Charles. It was sort of, you know, it, it, the voice goes in the back of the throat a little bit more and everything becomes like, you know, sort of, even though there's not much effort in it, it, it seems like there's a lot of effort. Um, so that was kind of how we started to play around with it. That, that's cool. That's yeah. really cool. I just took a lot of Xanax to really just find the character. I'm going to put the face palm emoji as the description for this uh, entire. <laughs> That's actually going on my epitaph. <laughs> Here lies Neil Bledsoe. <clears throat> How was it um, working with Danica again on this? Um, when she would show up on set, it was great. Um, she would, she was missing in action for, and she'd come back uh, mm -hmm. allegedly from hunting reindeer. Mm -hmm. wow. She'd like hunt them on foot, and she'd come back with like, a, like a kind of dried animal skins that she had like fashioned, oh. like this kind of like, you know, uh, I don't know, like some Nanook of the North thing. And she'd like have a spear and like one of the reindeer slung over her shoulder. <laughs> the tea yeah. is hot. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that she's like into some extreme kind of like workout regimens or something. Um, uh, working with Danica on this was uh, such a pleasure. And like part of the reason why is like, and here's, here's a, here is something that is like, a, that is, truthfully a difference and take this with a grain of salt because I've only done two Hallmark movies, but the difference that I experienced for working with GAC is a freedom unlike anything I've ever seen in a Hallmark film. Mm -hmm. And Hallmark is remarkably successful and it is done, they, they know exactly what they're doing. They're very good at it, but there is such a corporate structure that has grown and that is in place right now that people further down the chain, people on the ground making the film are paralyzed with fear to make decisions sometimes. Mm. And you have this experience, you'll see it in like a costume designer's eyes, like, hey, can we just, you know, roll the cuffs up on the, I don't know, I, you might get a note from the network. And like, that's, mm. that's a real thing. Or like the, 
the director, if you pitch something, just oh, no, is you know, I like, yeah, I, I know what they're what the network is going to say, and I, I don't even want to. So, what you get is like you get people that are adhering to a formula, mm -hmm. which can be successful, and sometimes as you as, as a fan, almost like mm -hmm. some of the films really work, some mm -hmm. of the films fall really flat. Mm -hmm. and they're all following that same formula right they're all following yeah. that kind of like uh girl from the city kind of comes to like is a bit overworked and comes <laughs> and like uh and needs uh needs a bit of a life change meet some guy they don't get along at first then they meet there's a problem in the third act and then they against all odds come back together you know boy meets girl hallelujah fireworks roll credits next movie Right, like that is, that's the tried and true formula. And mm -hmm. so we, you know, and we're working with the, with, with the same producers and some writers and everything else. So what we, what we were experiencing on the ground was, you know, we had a great script to begin with, but there were challenges that couldn't be met by the script when we were shooting it. So the great thing that Danica and I had in this is we were able to make changes on the fly with, and we had the faith of the producers and the people on the ground, the director and the two of us to make whatever changes we needed to. And so we started to kind of think like, oh, well, there's, may, there might be a deeper story in here to, to, in the way that we connect. So there was a, there's a scene where they like, Danica's character uh, writes me this note and she's like, and she um, and she had initially had written this note that was like, it was cute, but it was like, you know, always, she was like saying, trying to give me things to remember for the rest of my life. She was like, you know, always remember to have a cup of cocoa and, um, and smile in the mornings. And it was like, just kind of, it's like when you see that Instagram kind of like gratitude stuff or something, mm, like, yeah. you need to be grateful. And you're like, screw you guy. I don't, I don't need anybody telling me that, you know, like mm -hmm. there's a, but instead what we found was like, all right, well, what if, because I'm a sculptor, what if we like, what if we just make it about a sculpture, you know, or some like quote about sculptures. So we found this great quote by Michelangelo and that was the basis of it. And I was like, hey, can we just do this? And they're like, yeah, cool. So that then started like some other stuff that we were like pulling together threads from the beginning of the film. And, and by the end, Dara, we had written, we had rewritten the entire last two scenes between the two oh, wow. But just using the stuff that the writers had given us, but we're like, I mean, these guys are, they're moving on to several other films, but had that been a Hallmark film and kind of like shooting in Canada in the Eastern time zone, trying to get notes approved to people that aren't even up yet on the West Coast mm, mm. to try to have them read it and try to like, and then to not just go through one producer, but to go through like two, three, four, five, like going up this chain of bureaucracy, mm -hmm. that was, that will just, that's the death of creativity. And I'll tell you that, that, that one of the things that Danica has told me is that this is how Hallmark used to be. And this is how people used to kind of like just get things done. It's like, and that's what I think people really loved about it was the, the, the acting side, the talent side, because they could call somebody, they could call Bill, they could call Pam, they could call people and just go, hey, I got an idea and get on the phone with somebody. And like, it, it was built on personal relationships. Mm. And I think that that has changed. And there's been a lot of good change in Hallmark, but I think one of the one of the things that has been lost are those personal relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Dang it, I had a question and I forgot it. No, this is what I was gonna say. I think I, at least to me, it's so evident when there is a bond amongst the cast and the crew, like you can tell when a cast and crew are, they have that kind of familial relationship and they have fun and they enjoy what they do. It translates so well on screen. It becomes so enjoyable to us as viewers, because we don't like seeing when, when it looks like a chore, like it, because then it comes off like a chore and it doesn't make it enjoyable for, for either party involved, both viewer and the, um, the, the actor. So I, I, that's one of the reasons too, why I'm excited. Cause even watching you guys is a Insta stories, um, y'all cutting up behind the scenes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, they, they had a little bit too much fun. I got to see what, what all is going on at the Winter Palace. Um, but for those who may want to watch it on GAC, but don't know how to get it, could you tell us where people can watch a Winter Palace? As of course I can as I pull up the email. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, what a, what a great question. I'm so glad you've asked me. Uh, you can find it on GAC Family. Uh, you can also, uh, through all of the major cable providers, that's your Comcast, that's your Time Warner, that's your Spectrum. Um, you can also find it on Philo, uh, Friendly, which is, of course, spelled without any um any vowels except who needs sometimes why yeah. yeah um but uh, friendly i think we'll have it streaming and then also you can find it on hulu live oh but awesome. we're coming out so which is another essentially a cable network um we are coming out um this saturday and also this saturday at 8 p.m we're also doing a uh, we've got a, a birthday party watch party with danica where we're going to be live for an hour before on the East Coast, 8 p.m., and an hour afterwards doing kind of a wrap party as well. And I think there's going to be snacks. There's going to be there's going to be dress up. Uh, Danica will probably try to make fun of me. I'll make fun of her. Bill will have to separate us. It'll be <laughs> utter pandemonium. I don't even know if we're going to get through it, but. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Bledsoe Kamenil, for coming into the home of Dear Hallmark. It's been a pleasure. Before I let you go, is there Neil anything? Hallmark. Sincerely, Neil Bledsoe. What's <laughs> up? What are you going to ask me? Is there anything? Um, I was going to say, is there anything you want to leave the listeners and watchers with? Anything you want to say, whether it's a word of encouragement, you want to plug your movie, you want to plug another project. It is your last hurrah, if you will. <laughs> Right. So now is the time that we agreed upon that I can start talking about my conspiracy theories. There we go. So, this is where uh, you go. <laughs> uh, gosh, what do I want to leave people with? You know what? I, I think I want to leave people with uh, that. I think you're going to enjoy the hell out of this movie. I think that I, I'm, I'm really proud of it and uh, stand by it. And uh I want people to find me at because I bled so on, on the Instagram and let me know what you think of those last two scenes. If you hate them, let me know. I'll block you, of course, but uh, but at least we're engaging and that just- There we go. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I, uh, and as far as anything inspirational, it's like, get over your fear, um, make something, uh, you know, uh, the world needs
needs your voice. Wow, that, that's, that's awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening and watching Dear Hallmark. Uh, all of my information will be in the description as well as all of Neil's information. It'll be in the show notes and in the description. Hang on, and, one last thing. Also, oh, yes. Sarah and I have hugged. We've actually met in real life. Yes. 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 Yeah, you were my favorite, most memorable person because, and it was because you were writing your book. And I remember talking to you about that. And, uh, and, I, and I, I, hopefully when we hop off this, I, I can hear more about this. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'll give you that $20 that I said I was going to give you for, for yeah, saying yeah, that. Yep. Yeah. Is it PayPal or Cash App? Which one? Venmo. 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 Got you. Got you. No. Between friends, so I don't incur any charges. But yeah. we'll talk about later. Got Maybe you. Got yeah. you. Got you. No, but thank you. <laughs> thank uh, you. And pleasure. guys, I will talk to you guys in the next episode. See you later.